What is up, guys? Welcome back to Can You Dig It, a podcast by the Silver Screen and Roll Network. I'm one of your hosts, Jacob Rude, not joined by Christian today. He took a weekend trip to Vegas, uh, so we upgraded, brought in Sabrina to come in and talk about Sunday's game against the Pistons, a win. Uh, Sabrina, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Um, I have a pretty solid record on these post-game shows so far this year. I'm three and one on these post-game pods. Uh, every time I come in wanting to just spout a bunch of terrible things the Lakers did during the game and then they win and I feel very good. So <laughs> I did post-game pods after both Thunder games. So mm. I am the bad luck charm. If you guys <laughs> just want to kick me off the podcast network, I would totally understand. Uh, the Lakers do win on Sunday. Uh, it was a, an interesting performance. Finals 110-106. They looked like they were going to pull away win handily the Lakers don't do anything handily this season though uh ultimately the Pistons came back made it a little interesting late but more or less the Lakers controlled the entire second half Uh, they didn't trail after about midway through the second quarter on uh, a couple different places we can start with this we'll start with LeBron obviously 33 points nine rebounds five assists Uh, He gave us a little scare at the end with his injury, but uh, he was very clearly favoring it, said he would be fine afterwards. Uh, I had some concerns about midway through that Pistons game that LeBron looked pretty checked out. I think he's checked back in this season. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I would believe it either way, but yeah, it's never a good sign when LeBron comes up looking gimpy. but, you know, hell of a performance from the big three in total today. Uh, that, that was really the main takeaway for me. But uh, LeBron, I'm, I'm a little concerned about the finishing around the rim. Um, so jumper looks great. Uh, probably too good considering how you want LeBron to play. <laughs> but, um, there were just a couple of possessions, like in the first half in particular, where, you know, the Lakers would get down in transition and LeBron would attempt to do something in, at the basket and like not have either the requisite lift or just like the usual craft that we've come to expect from LeBron James finishing at the hoop. So I hope that that's a residual of the abdominal injury and that it's not something that we can count on for the rest of the season, because among the Lakers, there's already just an excess of bad layup technique. And I don't want LeBron (laughs) to succumb to that. That's what I uh, tweeted about halfway, maybe in like the first half that one of the most frustrating things about this team is they miss so many layups, like an insane amount of layups. Uh, I don't know what the cause of it is. It's apparently contagious. Well, I'm glad that they're getting to the hoop so much. Like uh, our, our boy Alex Regla pointed this out during our during the postgame that they had more than 40% of their shots at the room today, which is awesome. Like that's exactly where the Lakers shot distribution should be going, considering how many paint attackers that they have. Um, and in theory, you know, they'll finish better than that around the rim because there was just <laughs> Knock some on weirdo wood. stuff. And it's not like the Pistons boast um, excellent rim protection either. Uh, this is a, a second unit that was playing Trey Lyles at center. And 
for all of Isaiah Stewart's many gifts, he's like six foot nine and should not be posing a substantial rim deterrent for the Lakers. Uh, so yeah, the, the missed layups was, was frustrating. Um, we can, you know, whatever you want to blame it on. I mean, maybe it was just one of those games, but the Lakers seem to have a lot of those games. Yeah. Uh, the you're not wrong about the Pistons having a lack of size and yet they out rebounded the Lakers on the night. I didn't realize Cade Cunningham had 10 rebounds um, leading rebounder tied with Anthony Davis for most, re- most rebounds in the game. Um, speaking of AD, we can talk about him next. There has, there was a lot of talk both before and after this game about his, I guess, shot selection. Uh, mm. he made both of his three pointers. Frank Vogel was asked about it before the game. He said he's fine with it. It's just a shooting slump. Uh, he came into the game shooting, I think, like seventeen percent from the three point line. Um, he made, like I said, made both of them after the game. Uh, said that he's going to keep shooting them whether they go in or not because he says it uh, spaces the floor for his teammates. Uh, he's up to twenty percent. Um, I'm not sure if he understands a lot about <laughs> needing to make the shots to uh, space the Gravity, floor, but... spacing, all of these are just foreign <laughs> concepts to Anthony Davis. <laughs> uh, what do you uh, think of him tonight? And then I guess just kind of general about him, his shooting, his shot selection this season. Well, I, I am happy that the Lakers were able to get 10% of the way to 80 is promised that they would win 10 <laughs> games in a row be 2011. And then we could stop talking about this. So, you know, one down, nine to go. Uh, for me, with Anthony Davis, it always just starts defensively. I thought he looked great on that end. I mean, other than his just like personal vendetta, apparently against Cade Cunningham, which God, Cade just stopped trying to ISO against Anthony Davis. Like there are better things to do. Believe me, better things to do against the Lakers defense. Uh, I just thought he was wonderful, wonderful on that end. Um, his rotations, like number of blocks, just like fewer of those plays where he was very disappointed in the lack of collective effort from the rest of his teammates. Although one in particular comes to mind, I'm not going to dwell on that because this is, you know, a win. The Lakers won. Um, and then offensively, like it seemed like he took a couple bailout jumpers early where, you know, the offense wasn't going anywhere and he had to take a shot late in the clock shot clock and they went in and I don't know if that's a sustainable model for the Lakers to apply <laughs> going forward for their offense, but I refuse to believe that AD is as bad of a jump shooter as he has been at the start of the season. I don't think he's ever going to approach those Halcyon 2020 bubble days in Orlando, but I mean, 20% is a lot lower than I think he will be. And his mechanics look fine. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. that anything is particularly wrong with his jump shot. Um, The fact that he can take it, I think also opens up some more opportunities for him within the offense. So yeah, shot selection is like blah, but I am very much at the point where if AD is going to dominate defensively, like particularly the way he did today, I am more than happy giving him the leeway to shoot wherever he wants on offense. (laughs) And even today, like he, he took 15 shots, 13 of them were in the paint. Right. Mm -hmm. And like eight of them came directly at the rim. So if he's going to shoot one of five on those paint shots outside the rim, like that's fine. Like they're still in the paint. Uh, That that's a pretty good shot profile to me. I mean, he, he looked really good today and maybe he just gets up to play former number one picks. Like but <laughs> it's, uh, uh, I guess LeBron. that doesn't really apply because it didn't work against Minnesota, but um, 
historically really funny game yeah historically he seems to terrorize cats so it might check out uh it might be one of the things lebron's passed on to him because lebron loves getting up for those games against those uh young kids that he absolutely uh, does <laughs> that think they're about the ready to make and the Lucas it. of the world <laughs> yes uh so maybe that's one of the things lebron's passed down uh I mean, or maybe he was just happy because the Packers like spanked the Rams today. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I haven't actually drawn any like looked up to see how he performs after a Packers win versus a Packers loss. So we should look into this. (laughs) Maybe that'll be a piece for uh, for tomorrow on the site. Yeah. Um, At least statistically, this would be the most shots he's taken at the rim, or I should say, the highest percentage of shots he's taken at the rim since his sophomore season um whatever that is worth it would also be the fewest percentage of three pointers he's taken since he started shooting them basically his first year 17 18 that being said i i can still understand some of the frustrations um he's really not shooting it's way less mid-range shots than last year um i don't know how much we can really compare anything to what he did last year because he was hardly ever really healthy but yeah, I just think AD has like an impossibly high standard to live up to because of again what he was during the 2020 bubble to flash that potential and come not even close to living up to it since then is incredibly frustrating uh I, I find myself often looking at AD's games afterwards and thinking like I mean, that was mostly fine like I don't particularly disagree <laughs> with that or like it's not his fault that the Lakers gave him the ball with three seconds left in the shot clock and asked him to do something like nothing was happening on offense here. He's just been given the ball in the post and no one's moving. So I, I tend to put the blame for the offense elsewhere um, and not squarely on Anthony Davis's shoulders. The one thing I will forever um, expect him to do is shoot free throws better. Yes. That one is indefensible. And I don't even really understand what happened because he was really good at it. And then just, inexplicably wasn't I know one of the rare Lakers who actually like came to the team put on the purple and gold and still shot well in his debut season and then (laughs) bam um yeah AD has an ability to just put up like unreal stat lines all while looking I don't want to say coasting but make it almost look effortless Mm -hmm. um I still the last time they played Detroit he was literally a steal away from a five by five and I had no idea he was even remotely close to that. And I wouldn't have been able to tell you that just watching the game. Uh, but the way he's able to take over games defensively, like you were saying, um, mm-hmm. he's almost he, he's almost more fun to watch on the defensive end than he is the offensive end because he's just so versatile. He can get stops in so many ways. The way he can sniff out problems and um, help teammates recover, things like that. When he gets locked in defensively, uh, he's as good or better than anybody else in the league. And he's, it seems to be more and more, uh, he's kind of locking in for, I should say, locking in for more and more of the game as we go because uh, I thought that Detroit game, that fourth quarter, as the Lakers joked about it being a turning point. I don't know how much it, it was, wasn't. but yeah, I don't know how much <laughs> it was, but for him defensively, I thought more or less it was kind of a turning point for him. And it seems like he's been more locked in since then. Uh, I just, 
I laughed as I was like kind of writing the story that night because they were so adamant about it being a turning point. And I mm-hmm. should have just bet the house on them losing to the Knicks two days later. Uh, yeah. I will see. They didn't talk about it being a turning point tonight. They just simply said it was the first win of a 10 game winning streak. Um, last yes. <laughs> one, last one to talk about. Uh, I thought for Russ, it wasn't his best game as a Laker, but I thought it was the best game he'd played alongside LeBron and AD both tonight. He finishes with uh, 25 points, nine assists, six rebounds. Him and AD both were really good about getting to the rim, getting into the paint. Um, And the Lakers won the paint battle. um, I believe it was 58 to, yeah, 58 to 40. Uh, Russ seems to have kind of turned a corner with the just kind of integrating with the team and the chemistry. Uh, I guess what have you seen from him the last handful of games? Well, I love a good Russell Westbrook bank shot. Um, those, those are fun. Uh, he even had one move where it seemed like he was doing sort of the Dirk step back while also banking the shot, which is just a level of craft that I would never expect from Russell Westbrook. And it worked. Um, he was definitely in a good mood today, uh, that, that possession where he finished, um, like a layup and sort of like on a semi-transition play. Um, it's kind of the point where I, I don't notice Russell Westbrook's mistakes as much as I had at the start of the season. I think I was so focused on him to be like the, the lightning rod of everything that was going to go well or wrong with the Lakers this season that I was like microanalyzing everything that was happening. And now I can just sort of appreciate him for what he brings to the overall fabric of the Lakers, right? Like he's really good in transition today. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he made some defensive mistakes. They didn't like jump off the page to me like they have in the past. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think he's been mostly fine on that end, which, you know, you didn't bring in Russell Westbrook to be a defensive stopper. So for him to blend in defensively is not such a bad thing. Um, I, I enjoyed watching Russell Westbrook play today. You know, uh, again, he got to the rim for seven shots, you know, another two in the paint. I mean, he's the jumpers that he took were just those, those bankers really uh, all four from that, that left area of the the post, you know, he doesn't shoot from the right-hand side for some reason. Um, and yeah, he missed three free throws in the first quarter and that was maddening, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I find myself like appreciating all of the things Westbrook provides more and more as the season goes on. Uh, I haven't felt that like instant energy lift that I thought he was going to bring to the Lakers. Like one of the things that we had talked about a lot on like really all of the podcasts during the off season was he's going to lift the Lakers floor, right? These random games against Oklahoma city and Detroit, like Russell Westbrook isn't come out so hard and make sure that the Lakers have the requisite energy to compete. And like, that has not been the case at all. Like the Lakers are completely in a belay is most of the time Russell is yes. not imprinting the Lakers in that way at all. Um, he's kind of like doing the fit in, not fit out thing. Right. Which I wish he were fitting out more. You know, I wish he was bringing his particular firebrand energy to the Lakers uh, but I think you're you're onto something where he's very much finding his spots within what the Lakers are trying to do with LeBron and Anthony Davis. Like he's fitting in as that number three guy, which again, I think in the long term is probably for the best. Like having Russ go Russ in the regular season might win a couple more regular season games. I don't think it helps you very much in the postseason. Uh, so him like 
being this complimentary guy, I think makes more sense for the long game. Right. Oh yeah. And kind of what you were saying, I, it's, it's becoming a lot more just enjoyable watching him play. Whereas kind of early in the season, uh, there was just a lot of frustrating aspects and most of them were turnovers, to be honest. And um, just a lot of it was just frustration in general. And I haven't really felt that in quite a quite a few games at this point. Um, that Detroit game, uh, he was pretty big reason, if not the biggest reason that the team came back in the fourth quarter. Um, same with that Knicks game. He was one of the biggest reasons they came back in that game. Um, and then once LeBron came back, the last handful of games, um, yeah, he's just kind of fit in. Uh, this is obviously going to be a long time work in progress with the, mm-hmm. these three as the season goes. Um, and honestly, it's probably not shocking that this is finally starting to happen because this is the longest these three have played together for quite a while. Yeah. With LeBron's injury, they just haven't had the minutes to play together through the first, really the first 20 games of the year. So um, it seems like things are starting to click between the three of them. And it doesn't feel as much as like your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn with LeBron and Russ. And it's just a lot more kind of free flowing basketball. Um, Honestly, outside of those three, wasn't really a great game for anybody else tonight. Uh, or even a good game. <laughs> yeah, they had 82 of the 110 points. Only Taylor was in double digits outside of him or outside of them, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't. He started off not great, but I thought he finished uh, better. He had 12 points and eight rebounds. Um, nobody else outside of DeAndre we mentioned had more than five points. So uh, those three very much carried the team on the night. Um, I do think one of the reasons last couple of games Russ has played better is that Frank Vogel has gone to the LeBron at center lineups, which is something he talked about after the game on Sunday. Uh, I'll tell you guys what he said, and then we'll talk about what that kind of means for the rotation moving forward here right after this break. So. For the, I believe, third game running, uh, the Pacers game, the Kings game, and then Sunday against the Pistons, mm-hmm. uh, Vogel went to the LeBron at center lineups in the second half, or excuse me, with the second unit. Um, and after the game Sunday, nobody even asked him about it, and he uh, talked about the fact that they, um, they're going to make that part of the game plan moving forward. Uh, his quote was, we played a different second unit tonight. We played the second unit that basically closed the game out in Indiana with LeBron and Mello at the 4-5. Call it a centerless lineup. There's a lot more space for Russ. Bron has a lot more space as a roller to the basket, which was effective, and we just have more switchability on the defensive side of the ball. I do think that's something we're going to grow and be a part of our team going forward. Um, What have you seen from those centerless lineups or LeBron at center, however you want to word it, and um, I mean, it it sounds like you're excited about what uh, what it could mean going forward, at least. Well, I mean, the first thing I want to say is that 
giving LeBron space as a roller is a wonderful idea if LeBron ever was the one setting the screens. So let's do more of that. Frank, if that's the object. Please, please, please. Let's have LeBron set some screens because I think it would be devastating. It's just mm-hmm. LeBron James has always been the pick and roll ball handler for his 19 year NBA career. But um, on the positive side, I really like this lineup. I mean, I think the way that the Lakers roster is built, their best players are all guard or wing size and to get as many of them on the floor as possible, you have to excise the bigs from the rotation and the Lakers bigs are just not good. And pains me to say, given how much I enjoyed the second iteration of Dwight Howard on the Lakers, but volume three has not been as pleasant (laughs) as volume two was. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I don't think Dwight is doing anything to really earn minutes. I mean, if you replaced DJ's minutes with Dwight, I don't think that would make a measurable difference on the Lakers. Uh, Again, as much as it pains me to say, because I am, probably like the least like passionate DeAndre Jordan fan in the Laker fan base, but it, it's just more fun to watch the good guys on the court, right? Like you have LeBron and Westbrook who are your ball handlers and then also rollers at the same time, because I do think Westbrook has an ability, you know, to set screens and roll, which we saw briefly at the beginning of the season, you know, him and Anthony Davis did that a little bit um, in that Memphis game. I want to say at the start of the year, I uh, haven't seen really any of it since then. But I think if you space the floor with three shooters around them, I think those groups have mainly had Mello, Monk, and a third guy, uh, whoever that happens to be, whether that's Ellington or Reeves was there briefly in the second quarter. Talon got some minutes there um, down the stretch. Uh, Just three shooters plus LeBron running a pick and roll is a tried and true formula that I think Dwayne Casey and the Toronto Raptors still have nightmares about. So uh, <laughs> why, why we wouldn't go to that uh, is beyond me. Um, and I do think it activates LeBron defensively in a way that he hasn't been this season. Uh, him being like that center defensive hub just makes him more accountable for how the Lakers are playing defensively. And I, as much as I wish that he didn't need that extra burden to like give him that extra juice. Uh, it, it does seem to have been helping him. It's just so funny to me that we like made an innumerable jokes about Luke Walton wanting to play LeBron at center, what, three years ago. And now it's a viable <laughs> strategy for the Los Angeles Lakers. But hey, this is the way the game evolves. And this is the way the Lakers roster has evolved. Uh, yeah, I'm all for it. I'm glad that Frank sees the light, you know, because we have talked a lot about how rigid he is and his philosophy, about how he wants to play. And I guess he's just seen enough minutes with the Lakers playing big to know that, oh God, maybe we shouldn't do this as much as we have been. <laughs> um, the one thing is, God, if, if he could just stop playing Avery Bradley, like that would just warm yeah. my heart so much. But this is a good first step, right? Like I think Anthony and I <laughs> talked about this after the Indiana game, how this is an important lesson for Frank to learn is not that like, oh, we played these centerless lineups because Anthony Davis wasn't available and we had to do something. Like, no, this is a unit that works even if Anthony Davis is there. Like, if Anthony Davis is the third spacer, so to speak, around LeBron and AD, like that's, I'm sorry, LeBron and Russ, that absolutely is another permutation of this lineup where AD is the four, so to speak, and LeBron is the center. Like, I don't really care what you want to call them. Um, The Lakers need to lean into their speed and their spacing on offense because those are the primary skills on the roster as currently constructed, right? They can't be this bigger, stronger version of themselves that they were in the championship year. They just aren't constructed that way. So I like that Frank Vogel is recognizing what this roster is good at. And at least in the second unit, leaning into those permutations. Um, I hope that the defense can hold up long enough. 
Uh, I am admittedly wary of LeBron James at center defensively, but hey, it's been fine so far. And it's certainly a lot more pleasing to watch than the alternatives <laughs> have been. You, uh, you're over the DeAndre Jordan <laughs> center Oh my minutes. gosh. Um, the... Yeah, I don't want to go on a rant or anything, but that's probably <laughs> my least favorite thing that the Lakers did this offseason. And like that includes letting go of Alex Caruso, which is just <laughs> <laughs> uh, the you could see the formula for what the team did in the offseason. It was kind of, as you mentioned, of at least in the front court, mimicking the JaVale Dwight uh, kind of combination with AD. They tried it this season. It's failed pretty miserably. Uh, DeAndre is not JaVale. And as you mentioned earlier, Dwight volume three is not nearly as fun as Dwight volume two was. Um, So this is uh, almost a necessity that they had to figure out something else. Um, It literally was a necessity when they did it uh, against the Pacers because AD was not available. Um, And you cannot conceivably play DeAndre and Dwight 48 minutes even together. Uh, so it was almost kind of something they fell into that has really worked. So through Sunday, uh, LeBron with LeBron on the court and all three centers slash bigs off, uh, the Lakers have a plus 17.6 net rating in 32 minutes. It's a 123.6 offensive rating, 106.1 defensive rating. Um, there's been a couple different types of lineups they used um, in that Pacers game. It was LeBron and Mello with Russ Ellington and Monk um, on Sunday, as you said, Talon kind of inserted in there as well. All of those lineups have been wildly successful, albeit in really small sample sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an interesting development and in an exciting one, I think. Um, because as you said, it kind of activates LeBron. It Mm -hmm. forces him to be engaged. It doesn't allow him to check out because if he's checking out when he's at center, everybody's going to see it. Um, and a a parade to the basket. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's why I thought it was interesting how kind of willingly they went to it against or in that Pacers game and how much he, talked about it after the game about how he's able to see the defense and call out coverages and whatnot. And Mm -hmm. um, when he did all that, I was like, Oh, maybe this is something he's actually invested in because when it, as it was happening, I just thought it was kind of a necessity of the moment. And then when he's talking about it afterwards, um, it seemed like something he was open to. And I'm sure they've had that conversation and the fact that they've, they fully committed to it tonight. Uh, Dwight didn't play because the coaching staff wanted a longer look at those second units. Uh, because I they mean, were Le- tired of him giving this media tour about the NBA 75. Yeah. What a, what a bizarro, I don't even understand. And he keeps saying like, I'm not actually mad about it, but it, it's just kind of funny. And then uh, he'll give the exact same quote. This is earnestly, I wrote about it today, the fourth time that he's given the exact same type of quote about, uh, not being he was bitter but he's okay he's over it he's not really that mad about the not being on the list um yeah he didn't play on sunday vogel said that 
that's not necessarily set in stone. Him and DeAndre will kind of switch, and one of them um, may be in the starting lineup, and the other one will be the third center with the night off. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's he he outright said you can't play both of them if they're going to play LeBron at center. So they've actively committed to LeBron at center over the two others over Dwight and DeAndre. So mm-hmm. um, I I'm with you in that even as uh, frustrating or maybe disappointing as Dwight's been this season, I would still easily take that over what DeAndre largely brings to the table. Um, yeah. And it's still only 20. I mean, DeAndre only played 21 minutes on uh, Sunday. Uh, Dwight's minutes had been down this year. It was only around 16. But, I mean, you could still play him 21 minutes a night. This seems like the happy medium, I guess, for everyone. Uh, in that Vogel still gets to start his two centers. But we still kind of uh, adapt to modern basketball and LeBron plays center. Uh, It seems to be as happy as a medium as we're going to get right now, but it's working. And the idea of, I mean, Ellington and Monk have been great. Um, As you said, with a team with so many guards, this is the easiest way to get a bunch of them on the floor together. Um, Mm -hmm. Talon played with the group. I suspect Austin Reeves will play a good amount once he's back into the rotation with uh, that unit. Mm-hmm. Eventually Kendrick Nunn, I think will play this season and uh, it would make sense with that unit as well. So this seems like the easiest way to get the million guards that they signed in the off season onto the court kind of together um, with also having some type of front court presence just wild that in year 19 LeBron even in the modern basketball LeBron can viably play the yeah. center on an NBA team and it'd be one of the most successful lineups that they could I mean over the last three games it's one of the best lineups we could put out there yeah I, I still think the starting lineup needs to change um so the Lakers have kind of figured out this third quarter issue um over the last four games as you know our one of our staffers, Donnie McHenry, noted that they were plus 10 against the Knicks in the third, plus four against the Pacers in the third, plus five against the Kings, and then plus 10 tonight against Detroit. Um, what that says about their fourth quarters is an entirely different story. But <laughs> um, I still think that this starting lineup is unnecessarily making things difficult for the Lakers. Uh, I like the LeBron at center lineups quite a bit in the second unit, but why not just start? AD at center and then you get all that spacing immediately to start the game like why do we have to wait until 12 minutes have passed before you use the best lineup possible for the Lakers I'm not quite understanding that Uh, and the starting lineup problems obviously are not entirely a result of the fact that the Lakers are playing a traditional center it is also because they're playing a person in the backcourt who is not a spacer and not a ball handler and not a defender and is unclear to me what he provides to the Lakers other than being Frank Vogel's best friend. So <laughs> that is currently my main issue, but like, I, I kind of liked the idea better when the Lakers were starting small and then, you know, playing that severely defensively challenged shooting unit with just Dwight as an anchor, because he was holding up fine. Like his individual mm. numbers, basically the same as Deandre's, but his net rating is so much better than DJ's and consider the fact that DJ gets to play his minutes with 
LeBron and Anthony Davis and Russ and <laughs> Dwight's playing with like Mello and Monk and he's cleaning up a lot of messes there. Uh, I still think that that second unit is more interesting place to go big and then, you know, starting small. Uh, but I mean, as long as it's not all big, I guess that is an improvement, but there are, there are more lessons to learn. Frank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe it's a, the same, what's the saying? Absence makes a heart grow fonder. So we're just taking away the spacing. There's an yeah. absence <laughs> of spacing. And then the second quarter, Oh, wow. This is amazing. We love this so much. Uh, Avery Bradley still ranks the worst on the team in net rating. Um, and it's by some margin, uh, minus 10.7. Next is Kent Bazemore, who completely and entirely out of the rotation. I would uh, welcome Bazemore back if he took Avery Bradley's spark in the starting lineup, just with open arms, roses at the ready. I would welcome Kent Bazemore back. It's, <laughs> I, I thought Bazemore was struggling very much so. I thought sure. it was going to be a couple games off and then they would try to bring him back in refreshed. I did not expect him to just never get back in the rotation. It seems like it's been uh, multiple games since he's last played. His last game was on the 19th against Boston. He played four minutes. That was garbage uh, that, time. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the last time they we saw him. It was, he played two nights prior against Milwaukee, 11 minutes. I think those were his last kind of rotation minutes. Um the Lakers need to do that thing for Moneyball where um, Billy Bean just trades away Pena so they have to start Hatterberg at first base. Uh, they need to just wave Avery Bradley so that somebody else can take those minutes. He's not guaranteed. It wouldn't even cost him money. I know to do it, it has just, to happen soon. <laughs> just wave him uh, and force him to play. The problem would be he would probably play Rondo before he'd play. Uh, I mean, Bazemore. Reeves is right there. <laughs> I I'm just just saying based on a lot of experience they would uh he would say that would team Rondo be more- worse than Bradley at this point I don't even know I mean there was a, a like okay so there's so many moments with Avery Bradley where he would get the ball presumably in perfect catch and shoot position not shoot <laughs> pass the ball away and then at the end of the game he actually takes the shot but not in catch and shoot like a sidestep yep. three way off then he like bizarrely doubles in the post on the next possession leaving a wide open three-pointer and it's what are these decisions that you're making Avery I he's had two good games all season right he played really well against Miami uh played well against the Knicks and then he had what like three good possessions in a row against the Warriors and he's been coasting on that for like 20 some games I was gonna say he played good for the like first half of that fourth quarter against the Warriors right it's a very limited sample He, uh, he got, he, Avery Bradley he knew actually how to run fire. the place. <laughs> yeah. Avery Bradley actually caught fire against the Knicks. And yeah, outside of that in the Miami game, uh, it's been, it's been nothing. Um, I would assume he would go to Rondo because they need more swag, but, um, Frank, I, to his credit has been very limited in his usage of Rondo. Like he's yeah. only played when LeBron has been out. And except for that Boston game, which I just have to believe is because it was in Boston and he wanted to play Ronda, which is fine. <laughs> That's fine. I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, it's a motivated Rondo. I guess he thought he was getting a version or he would get a version of playoff Rondo, which it was on ESPN. So, you know, national TV searching Rondo. for a national TV Rondo. I get it. You know, I don't blame him on that. Yeah. He's been fine with Rondo. We just, something has to be done about Avery Bradley at this point uh to 
because yeah, it, it's not getting any better. That that uh, shot or that pump fake sidestep into I think a long two pointer uh, late in the game. I I didn't yell at the TV, but I wanted to because <laughs> I it was I don't want if you're badly shooting shots with three minutes to go, unless it's like into the shot clock catch and shoot three pointers because he was wide open. And yeah, I was watching with my dad, and he very angrily asked me, "Who's number 20? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, the Lakers will be back in action Tuesday in Sacramento. I pray to God it does not go three overtimes this time. Um, and then it's a favorable stretch. They do have back-to-back games against the Clippers in Boston, but then they will get Memphis, OKC, Orlando, Dallas, and Minnesota. Knock on wood. You called a stretch including OKC a favorable stretch for the Lakers. Uh, on paper, I should say it's a favorable stretch. Nothing seems very favorable with this uh, Lakers team. I mean, I mentioned a favorable stretch and. They lost to Sacramento. They lost to Boston. They lost to OKC. They lost to Minnesota. <laughs> they lost to Minnesota, and they barely beat Memphis. So uh, the Lakers Morant have a tough time, stretch coming so we'll up. <laughs> <laughs> the Lakers will be challenged, I guess, in this upcoming stretch. I'm looking uh, forward to that first Laker-Clipper game. Those are always a good time. It, I'm worried, though, because it certainly seems like the Clippers are playing pretty well right now. Although they didn't – on Sunday, they ran into the bus saw that's – uh, Golden State, but mm-hmm. uh, hopefully LeBron, AD, Russ will get up for that one. That should be a fun one. Uh, thanks again, Sabrina, for coming on, hopping in, and uh, letting Christian have a weekend in Vegas. Um, we will be back on. Uh, I will be back with Christian on Sunday. Sabrina will be back on Wednesday, and until then, we will talk to you guys later. <laughs>